So, David, how are things? Things are good. Things are good. Thank you. How are things with you, Todd? Things are good. Thanks. Um, what's new and exciting in the world of policy? Well, <laughs> what is new and exciting in the world of policy is that um, if you could ask for things to get uh, any more kind of confusing, but also exciting, uh, it would be kind of hard to do. So I was hoping we could start with confusing first and then move along to things that are really kind of promising and kind of a little bit more exciting. Okay. So um, it's not necessarily the sublime to the ridiculous, but the ex- the confusing to the exciting. So w- what's confusing? Well, confusing, once again, I, I know we've discussed this before, but once again, the reporting of COVID-19 data by hospitals is once again becoming confusing. Um, as you know, and, and our listeners know that during the summer, the there was an effort by the Department of Health and Human Services to change where hospitals reported their COVID-19 data, their, their rates, their hospital beds, their ICU capacities, all those are really important things. And they had always been going to the National Healthcare Safety Network at CDC. Well, they basically decided that that was not uh, functioning the way it should any longer. And so they created a new system that's operated by a, a, an outside entity contracting called Teletracking Technologies. Um, and so in the midst of the height of July and all of the, you know, that was going on, changing the reporting system really has thrown things into, um, into a bit of a state of, uh, of, I would say confusion. Um, and uh, to add to that, as we've, as we got through the dog days of August and, and so forth and getting up to this point now that we're in September, um, we had, you know, Dr. Deborah Burks at the White House, uh, the White House coronavirus coordinator to complicate matters. She said that in an interview that they were going to be returning that to CDC. And then HHS kind of basically implied, no, that wouldn't happen. Um, we've seen reports from places like CNN and also from the Wall Street Journal that there's been a lot of delay and backlog. So rather than being updated three times a week, it had been more standard. It was more like once a week. And so you ended up with like eight day old data. And so it, it kept looking like that there were huge spikes and then huge drops all over the country. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like, I, you know, the, the question as I'm sitting here listening to you is, is really, I guess it's a twofold question is, is what does this mean for the average person. So if I'm not following this day to day, what should my takeaway be? And then I think the second question is, as we're entering the fall, schools are reopening, colleges are reopening, people are trying to, to you know, have some semblance of normalcy, recognizing that the flu season's about to start. You know, what are the implications there as well? The implications are actually fairly significant because you've got to remember that if your area is having trouble reporting and your data is not being included, then that data is what determines a great many things, uh, so to speak. Uh, if for one thing, it, it determines where the government might send remdesivir, the newly approved, you know, therapy, uh, that they might send those, that, those drugs. Uh, to other areas because they seem to have higher rates and therefore it could affect your own ability to get what you need um, from your hospital should you become a person with COVID-19. And 
it also uh, is going to affect how hospitals are going to be allocated uh, personal protective equipment. All of those things which we saw back this spring as being very important. And as we move into the fall, you really want that system to be finely tuned. You don't want to be redoing it at this point. So that's a little bit of, uh, of where you would be concerned in your area um, if, if that data doesn't come quickly and accurately. Now, to kind of complicate things more um, and kind of really to, took a lot of the hospital world by surprise was it, that we just had an interim final rule which is a more unusual entity in policymaking issued by the government that has actually, uh, they have decided to change what are called conditions for coverage. And those are things that you have to meet in order to be paid. So this is, this gets to the bottom line of any hospital. They have changed the conditions for coverage. And so that this reporting, which was voluntary has now been made mandatory. And it is a condition for coverage to receiving any of your Medicare, Medicaid funding uh, from the federal government. So that, that's that's a pretty you know heavy hammer to use. So uh, it's got people with their eyebrows raised, and and you know people's honestly asking, is this the time to be making these changes? So I think we all understand what a proposed rule is, and we all understand what a final rule is. So there's a proposal, people comment on it, it usually gets revised or tweaked in some way, and then it's issued as a final rule. What's an interim final rule? Um, interim final rule is, it does allow to, it does allow you to have, make some comment, but it actually goes into effect when it is announced immediately. Um, and so therefore this is not something that you are going to comment on and wait another 60 days to find out what the government says about the comments. No, it is, it, it, this is already happening. This is now the requirement across the country. So that's what an interim final rule does. So, so just so I'm clear, there was no opportunity to comment on a proposed rule. They went straight to uh, basically an interim or final rule. That's exactly right. And, and what was the impetus for this? There's, there was a lot of criticism going on at, uh, uh, at different levels of the decision. And I, I'm not I'm really not sure, not really privileged to the inside thinking about where this came from. This one kind of came out of the blue. We, we were not, no one really had been given any indication this was going to happen. And this came from CMS? That's correct. They have that, they have the regulatory authority to make these rules. It's interesting then. So the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, um, which obviously has, you know, there's there's other activities related to them and, and ones of great importance to the, the kidney community. Um, so it'll be interesting. Do you think there's going to be any kind of link between this interim final rule and some of the other decision making or some of the other rulemaking that they're pursuing? It's it's kind of hard to to say. Um, it, it You know, it really does. It really kind of is much more effective to on the ground actual activity as opposed to just policy making. So this is well, this is one of those policy decisions that is like it is immediate and it actually hits institutions directly and in real time. So I don't know exactly what to expect. I wouldn't expect them to backtrack on this. So so I'm just curious what what's the reaction been um, from the broader community? The hospitals were really quite stunned, I, I would say. Um, and they they had used terms like extremely concerned, troubled uh, by the decision. And 
Um, also, some of them are being described as kind of having been scrambling for the last six weeks uh, to two months to kind of catch up with the changes that were made. And this just kind of, I think, came out of the blue to them. And it was, it was so going from a voluntary system uh, to a mandatory system, clearly, particularly in small rural areas uh, where they just don't have as much capacity, you may not have been, you know, they may not have been voluntarily providing the data. So those are two examples of what I'll call confusing um, policy developments. Um, what's an exciting policy development? Well, an exciting policy development, um, I, I just, you know, there are a couple things that I found very interesting. And they kind of really point to the resiliency of the healthcare system and also the decision of some in the United States to really kind of move past some of the problems that we are facing in healthcare and healthcare financing and come up with our own solutions. Um, I'm just going to briefly touch on one and the other ones I'm going to go into a little bit more detail. But the, the one I was going to briefly touch on, and, and I know that uh, there are other programs like the one I'm about to describe in the United States. So I'd love to hear from you know listeners about other programs as well. Um, and I'd certainly be happy to give them a shout out as well. But um, the University of California at San Francisco and its health program, it's called UCSF Health, um, has announced a UCSF 3D health study. And what that is, is they are offering free genome sequencing, the entire genome, uh, to all of their patients, and all of their members. Um, and I know that you had asked me whether this was going to extend into every aspect or just their main ACO. Right at the moment, it seems to be their main ACO, but um, as time goes forward, we'll see if they extend that. But um, it is really about trying to capture more of the diversity uh, and have more data on their patient population. And that's really key because we're beginning to see that um, healthcare is, I mean, really beginning to go in the direction of population health because it really provides more for patients, but it also provides their ability, really helps their ability to plan for what they're going to face. And therefore they kind of know what the expenses are, what's going to be coming down the road and that they need to be prepared to handle and how can they really alleviate some of these stresses and, and make, you know, quality of life better for patients and also reduce the cost of healthcare. Okay, so just on on this one, and I agree, it is exciting news. How how does this interdigitate with the the existing sort of healthcare system and, and HHS and the Medicare program? I'm just trying to figure out kind of what's happening at a local level, what might be happening at a state level, and then what's happening at a federal level. Well, I think local and state level is where most of the the real dynamic and the change and the growth is here. Um, on the federal level, we do have the, uh, you know, the Kidney Precision Medicine Program, uh, KPMP, and that was really gearing up to be the federal level jumping in in the kidney care side. Um, that has been put on hold, uh, although this month there will be a, um, a, a meeting of various uh, members of that community to try to figure out how to move forward. It was put on hold because it really did require biopsies, and that was really very difficult to do as we all know, during uh, the last six months. So it required renal biopsy. So that we hope will be starting back up. But this is an indication of local and state kind of taking the lead 
And I think, uh, you know, and I'm, this is not being critical of HHS. I think it's just natural that I think local and state will probably take the lead on this. And then HHS will probably have to figure out where it and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services kind of fit in. Um, and they'll also be asked to pay for things. So that's that's always where the rubber hits the road is when the states and locals will turn to them and say, we need you to help fund this. That's really interesting. Um, I'm just sort of curious, do you have um, other exciting news for us? You had two examples of confusing, so I'm going to push you for two examples of exciting. Well, I do have a second example of exciting ready. Um, and so it, it, it's, it, it has to do with innovation coming from outside of Washington, which um, I think a lot of people always do like to see. We've had a lot of discussion about surprise billing and about just kind of how you manage healthcare costs when very expensive things happen. And so I kind of, this is not exactly what this goes for, but it will certainly be a part of addressing that. And it involves Verily. Um, and so for those who do not know, Verily is a life sciences corporation. It was originally Google, I think, Google Health or Google Life Sciences when it was created. It, it is owned by um, the Alphabet company, which owns Google. So Verily goes in and looks at how to really bring data and, and really good software and really good approaches to bring into healthcare to make sure that results are really based on data, moving as fast as they can and really accurately, but at the same time um, helps to control costs and help you plan which is really important. And that's one thing that I think always has escaped the U.S. healthcare system is, is trying to figure out how to prepare yourself for what the, will be the expensive care coming forward. So what they've done is Verily has announced that they are creating a new program and it's a new, actually it's going to be a new entity. It's called Coefficient Insurance Company. And they're, they're, um, they're, they're teaming up with the Swiss Re Corporate Solutions. And this is going to be really interesting to see because what they're doing, and this really does reflect a real change um, in the country, which is that we used to have the, you know, we used to have a situation where self-funded healthcare, also referred sometimes as administrative services only, but where the company really tries to con uh, control its healthcare costs and funds most of its healthcare plan. Um, those were really kind of in the realm of the Fortune 500 companies with over a thousand employees. Uh, but things have been changing. And so now the average self-funded plan covers three to 400 employees. And actually, um, for those people in the United States who right now have private, you know, or private sector employees and they get workplace health plans, 59% of them are now covered by a plan that's at least in part self-insured. So that's a real big change. I mean, this is this this stuff. This was something that was opened up in 1974 with the Employment Retirement Income Security Act, ERISA, and it's really becoming it's really coming coming full force. So what they're doing is they're going to be a company that helps these these um, self-funded plans deal with what you call stop loss insurance. And stop loss insurance is when that's for you to handle for these funds to handle the really expensive hits that they take that are not part of the entire population of healthcare funding and expenses they get on a regular basis. 
So that's really going, but in the same, in a similar direction, that's really going to looking at your population and really using data to figure out what your population is that you're serving, including, you know, your, your employees who you're covering and figuring out really where your expensive hits are likely to be. Um, what kind of programs you could use to perhaps intervene and, and therefore, uh, lessen the impact for the patient and the impact for the bottom line of the insurance that you're providing as your company. And so this is coming, this is really in effect coming from Google. And it would make sense that Google, they're not waiting for the federal government to come in and solve this problem. They're beginning to figure out how to deal with this problem because they, like many other of the new Fortune 500s, the really big people, you know, the really big companies, um, they're just basically saying, we can figure out ways to do this. We're not going to sit around and wait uh, for the bureaucracy to do that. And that's not to be insulting to people who work in the government. It's just they're just moving fast and they're going to. It, so coefficient, I think, could be a real changer that over the next five to 10 years could really start to uh you know, provide some stability in self-funded insurance plans, which, as I said, are really growing in terms of the number of people in the United States who are covered by them. Yeah, I, I think the other issue, and it kind of brings us back to where we started, is that, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has asked, acted as an accelerant, and we've talked about this before, in terms of speeding trends that were already occurring. So in pop culture, the, the shift from going to movie theaters to to more sort of streaming services and home-based delivery for everything from entertainment to food and everything in between. And in this case, you know, the pandemic has really increased the potential for surprise billing. So it's not surprising that Verily is is probably accelerated sort of its thinking in this arena and, and that, you know, and again, I don't think this is an original observation, that, that these companies that are able to look at big data sets are, are going to move quickly in terms of, of how they handle that. And I think I want to make sure I understand what you're saying, which is there seems to be an implication, again, started where we were with, with some of the data collection, that the sort of private approach to this, that the private sector approach to this may move both more efficiently and more quickly than what the federal government can do for a whole set of issues that are really outside the federal government's control. Uh, exactly. Exactly. There's a term that uh, the coefficient group that that's created by Verily is using that is to, to help employers realize greater value through precision risk. And that's a, uh, that's, you know, that's kind of a really interesting way of looking at precision risk. So figuring out how to handle the healthcare needs in general and then identifying the precision risk and how you're going to deal with those so that they don't undermine the stability of the entire system. Well, David, thanks. Uh, I'm glad we started with confusing and ended with exciting, but clearly a lot's happening as we enter September and I look forward to our next conversation and you know the fact that Perhaps next time we can talk a little bit about the legislative calendar and, and you know, what's going to happen in terms of what Congress and the president need to agree to to sort of move forward to end the session and move into the election season, which I think is starting to get everyone's attention. Oh, it certainly is. It's, it's going to be an interesting fall. There's no doubt about it.